0: or toll-free at
1: 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Special coverage of SEC Media Days in Birmingham, presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, with locations in Auburn and Opelika, Redmond Vodka, distilled right here in Birmingham, and Kiev Auburn, where you're always number one. Happy Monday, happy SEC Media Days, everybody. A bit of a pre-recorded segment here as we switch out tables with the Max Roundtable before us here at SEC Media Days. But we'll be live starting at about 2.15 p.m. coming up. But Noah Gardner and Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama getting you set for today's
2: action at SEC Media Days. I'm like a kid in a candy store out here, man. Like, it is fantastic. It is everything that I thought it would be. It's been a fantastic first day so far. I'm really excited to get things going and get some of these press conferences going, man. I'm hype.
1: Full show for everybody today, of course, keeping everybody up to date with what's going on in the league throughout today and for the rest of the week Today, the three teams do up, and we talked a bit about this on Friday of last week, but the three teams do up today. You've got Florida, LSU, and South Carolina in that order, and we've got a lot of stuff on Florida, LSU, currently in all of their various interview rooms during our show, so we'll get bits and pieces of what's going on at Media Day throughout our show about what's going on with LSU, and then South Carolina Towards the tail end of our show as well. So packed action for you to, for you guys today. But storylines today coming into day one of the SEC.
2: Yeah, I think definitely the thing that you're going to have to look at whenever you're, we're uh, going to get to talk to Dan Mullen and get to talk to Ventrell Miller of Florida. We're going to get asked them some questions. I think some storylines uh, that are going to be happening throughout Monday for Florida is obviously like we talked about, I believe it was on Friday of last week. You know, who are y'all bringing back? Because there's not a lot of pieces returning from 2020 squad. Especially on offense. I mean, the all top three receivers are gone. You're losing your quarterback and Kyle Trask. How are the guys that are stepping into those positions going to replace him? How's the offense schematically going to shift now that you have more of a dual threat quarterback in Emory Jones most likely taking that starting job? And then when you look at the defense, that wasn't very good last year. They only returned four starters. You know, who are gonna be some of the leaders? And obviously Ventrell Miller, the linebacker for Florida, their returning tackler from last season is going to be able to answer some questions about you know, how they're going to prepare for this season. And 2020 was a down year defensively for the entire conference, but how Florida is going to step it up and return back to form that they were at over the past three or four seasons. So it's just going to be for Florida. It's not going to be okay. We're carrying over from last season. It's kind of starting anew and it's not a rebuild by no means. It's just that some new faces at some key positions and everybody's going to be asking a lot of questions about that.
1: Florida one of the few teams to not bring an offensive player to SEC media days, which is interesting because we talk about the storylines being about the offense and who they're bringing back on that side of the ball. But I think it's also fair to ask, who's coming back on the defensive side of the ball where they only have five returning starters, and it really wasn't that great of a defense last year, gave up 30.8 points allowed per game, their worst mark in the last seven years. The last time that it was ever really close to that mark was 2017 when they gave up 27.3 points allowed per game. The two guys that they bring with them today, defensive end Zachary Carter, the junior, off the edge, and then they also bring middle linebacker Ventrell Miller, the junior, and Ventrell Miller, last season led this team in tackles and it wasn't close there either 88 tackles to next up the Auburn product Mahmoud Diabate who was second on the team in tackles with 69 Ventra Miller getting the nod with his stat line last year being 88 tackles three and a half sacks four tackles for loss three pass breakups and one quarterback hurry defensive presence here today from a Dan Mullen offensive-led team last year.
2: Yeah, and I think the two guys that they chose for the defense are definitely the best guys to go with. I mean, Zachary Carter was the returning sack leader uh, coming back from 2020. Then, like we both mentioned, Ventrell Miller, the, the leading returning tackler. And then another thing that I think is going to be interesting for you and I as Auburn guys is obviously Daquan Newkirk transferring from the Tigers to the Florida Gators. Where does he fit into this lineup? When you look at Athlon Sports and you look at the magazine that they have put out, they have Newkirk starting at that nose tackle spot now I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen that's definitely going to be interesting if I get the chance to ask Miller I'll definitely hit him with that question um, where does Newkirk fit into this defensive line? I may ask Zachary Carter that as well. Uh, interesting to see if they have some high praise for him or if he's a guy that's kind of waiting in the wings, even though he's a veteran, to see if he can get some playing time. But yeah, I think they chose two fantastic guys in Zachary Carter and Ventrell Miller. Uh, but like you said, you know there are a lot of storylines about this offense, but you have to be able to look at this defense and get some answers from both the guys that are coming from the defense that, that will be answering some questions. Front
1: seven is definitely something to look at. Zachary Carter back, of course, for the Florida Gators. Once again, one of today's one of today's members of the Florida Gators that are in attendance at SEC Media Days. Zach Carter stacks last year. 36 tackles, five sacks, four and a half tackles for loss, two pass breakups, and twelve quarterbacks, quarterback hurries. He was second on the team in that category behind Brenton Cox, who had 18 quarterback hurries. A lot of this front seven is back. Ventrell Miller, Amari Burney, Brenton Cox, Zachary Carter, Daquan Newkirk, another SEC-style player. He played at Auburn, of course, last year, so SEC-caliber player coming to the Florida Gators this season. That's kind of like a returning starter for me. Not a returning starter for Florida, but still a returning SEC starter on this defense. And, of course, also Mahmoud Diabate is back, who is second on the team in tackles. So when I look at this group of Gators... The weakness is in the defensive backfield, but the front seven could be looking to build upon a season last year that found a way to get 35 sacks in 12 games.
2: Yeah, and I think when you look at this defensive backfield, you know, they struggled in 2020. They were in 100th nationally in passing yards allowed per game. That was 257.5 passing yards allowed per game. And based on what Athlon says, Phil Steele may some- say something different, but they only returned one starter from that group, and that's Kyrie Elam. Uh, he returns, He I believe he got two picks last season. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see, interesting to see how Carter and Miller hype that defensive group up. You know, Florida is obviously, as we all know, kind of considering that in that DBU conversation. I don't really know if we have a have a true definition as to who DBU is. I know that there, there are definitely definitely some really good candidates out there in Florida, Ohio State, LSU, Texas, but you know I, yeah I think there's some definitely some questions that need to be asked about this defensive back group because they they struggled last season and they were getting pressure like you mentioned all, all the, the the sacks and the quarterback hurries that they were getting they were getting pressure it's going to be interesting to see how Miller and Carter respond to some of the questions that are going to be asked and I think another storyline Noah that's going to be talked about is you know Florida was in the playoff hunt like they were thick in the playoff hunt until mid November I mean they had only lost one game and that was to a top five top 10 team in Texas A&M and then they lost to LSU so i think think an interesting question is going to be asked is like you know you might you you may get knocked out in that that week three matchup against Alabama but how are you going to recuperate and can you finish the season strong unlike last season I think that's another storyline that's going to be asked to Dan Mullen is how do you recuperate and how do you get back into that playoff caliber mentality where you're heading down the stretch and you were able to finish some of those games you weren't last year
1: Last season, that defensive backfield that you were mentioning allowed opposing quarterbacks to complete 64.1% of their passes. That's also their worst mark in the last seven years, which is absolutely absurd when I look back to like 2016 when they've had defensive backfields be as talented as only holding opponents to 45.1% of a completion percentage for opposing quarterbacks. That's absurd. They're on a bit of a downward trend. 54.2 in 2018, 60.3 in 2019, and then of course last year 64.1 in 2020, and that defensive backfield only returns one starter from a year ago. It could be addition by subtraction. It could be a growing pain year. There's still major questions about this defense. Something else I want to point out about Dan Mullen, fourth year at Florida. What does the finished product of a four-year cycle, a four-year recruiting cycle for Dan Mullen look like, especially with only 10 returning starters. I think that has something to do with their success this year. The way that they've recruited up to this point, we'll see if they can find a way to bridge the gap in a year where they only have 10 guys coming back. This is where you're recruiting... Keeps you from taking a step back or can keep you afloat?
2: Yeah, we're good, definitely going to get some answers as to how well Dan Mullen can recruit at a legitimate national title contender. Whenever I say that, I'm not saying that Florida's going to win the national title, but prestige-wise, Florida's up there in college football. I mean, they are one of the, the most prestigious programs, especially in the past uh, 20 years or so. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Dan Mullen handles this year with all of his recruits. Obviously, he's got his guys like Emory Jones at quarterback. It's going to be really interesting to see what he has to say about his receivers, because I'm going to be honest with you, outside of Jacob Copeland, I had not heard of any of these guys that could potentially be starting or even be secondary guys at the receiver position. I've not heard of them. Whenever you look at a guy like Damian Pierce, obviously, I think the running back room is just fine. They bring back their top four returning rushers from last season, by the way, the third uh, returning rusher from last season was Emory Jones, the backup quarterback. It's going to be interesting to see how often they run this kid as a full-time starter. But yeah, I think we're definitely going to see with Mullen how his recruits are going to play and then the quality of their play. And I think we're going to see that uh, week three at home against Alabama. I think there are going to be a lot of questions asked about that early matchup against, against Bama, how they are going to to prep, especially in those first two weeks against what what are cupcake games. Let's call it, call it what they are, Florida, Atlantic, and USF. But it's going to be interesting to see how he handles those questions because it's interesting to see what Ventrell Miller and Carter have to say about the rest of this squad as Dan Mullen recruits. And it's going to be interesting to see how optimistic because you know whenever obviously a lot of people if you have alabama on the schedule question, there's probably going to be a question or two asked about the Crimson Tide, and it's going to be interesting to see how confident confident they are their demeanors their answers it's going to be interesting to see what they have to say because i'm not saying florida is expected to compete or even win that game but a lot of florida fans will be
1: interesting point here about florida before we move on to lsu Running back rooms where the experience is at for Florida on the offensive side of the ball. A little bit on the offensive line. They got three starters coming back at that position group, but running back room. And none of these guys were really breakout players last year. It seems like Damian Pierce and Malik Davis have been in the program for forever. But those two last season, they're back this year. 4.7 yards per carry apiece. They combined for... 813 total net yardage and four touchdowns in an offense that once again thrived at throwing the football of course florida was one of the best passing attacks in the country a year ago but you look at the rushing attack only 4.3 yards per carry nothing to write home about 131 yards per uh 131 rush yards per game last year for florida as well while this passing offense may take some games to come along a little bit we don't know a whole lot we don't have a huge sample size on emory jones He really hasn't thrown the football a whole bunch across his three years at Florida up to this point. I trust Dan Mullen as a quarterback developer, and I think by the end of the year, Emory Jones, based off of the little bit that we have seen and the potential that we think he possesses, I think by the end of the year, Emory Jones will be in a good position in terms of throwing the football, and I think we may see him come back next year. But will this running back room early in the season be able to effectively complement this fledgling and kindling passing game that's trying to catch fire.
2: Yeah something interesting I think to note is you know obviously if Florida, we, we don't know a whole lot about Florida's running back room even though they have a ton of experience but the reason is they didn't really run the football last year. We didn't really get to see those guys in action and whenever they did run the football like you mentioned I believe it was only 4.3 yards per carry not the most effective. I think early in the season with Emery Jones as a dual threat guy I think we are going to see a little bit of option. I think we are going to see Florida try and run the ball against some of these cupcake teams and kind of establish that and then get into your play action get into your scenarios where you run 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 to set up the pass at midfield and then you let emory jones kind of tool tool with his offense a little bit kind of kind of get him into his checks get him into his reads comfortably and and put him in a comfortable situation i think dan mullen's going to do that as a a quarterback whisperer he's going to make that happen those first two games so expect florida to not rely on the run game but but to but to to expect to see florida run the ball a little bit more this season especially early And especially
1: with Emory Jones' skill set. right? Emory Jones likes to tote the rock, and I wouldn't be shocked if this is an offense, as you pointed out. I wouldn't be shocked if this is an offense that tries to play a little bit more to his strengths, which up to this point, when you look at it, he had one of the highest (laughs) yards per carry, if not the highest yards per carry mark amongst rushers last year at Florida. I wouldn't be shocked if they try and get him to run the football a little bit more to make him comfortable. Before we head to break here, let's talk a bit about LSU. When we come back, we'll, we'll be talking about Ed Orgeron and what he had to say because we just came out of the main media room to hear Ed Orgeron talking. Once again, this is a pre recorded segment as we're getting things shifted out with the Max Roundtable currently. But LSU Tigers, Ed Orgeron, ton of stuff going on this offseason investigations and whatnot. Is that the storyline with LSU coming to Media Day? Or is it about 18 returning starters? and them trying to find 2019's magic.
2: I think it's going to be about the latter. I don't think Ed Ogeron or the two guys that he's going to be bringing with him to media days are going to necessarily be open to talking about some of the things that are happening behind the scenes, if there are things. I You and I both, just based off what we've seen, there's some interesting stuff going on within LSU right now, and I don't know if they're necessarily going to be open to talking about that, but what they will be open to talking, to talking about is something what on the surface seems incredibly positive. Seven starters on offense, nine starters on defense, and... And they've got all the talent in in the world. They've recruited so well. It's LSU. If you bring back this many, these many guys, and you bring back all this production, you would expect Florida or LSU to be incredibly competitive this season. But you and I have some reserves about their defense, some of their coordinators. So I think for me storyline wise I'm going to be interested to see what they have to say about these new guys and how they're going to schematically either stay the same or shift things a little and then obviously everybody's going to be talking about who potentially wins that quarterback battle and Max Brennan or Miles jo- or, yeah Miles Brennan or Max Johnson it's going to be interesting to see and then another storyline I think is even though they are bringing a lot back on that defense how is that defensive backfield going to improve you know this is supposed to be one of the candidates candidates for DBB, DBU they've got Derek Stingley they've got Eli Ricks they got two Thorpe candidates They've got two Jim Thorpe candidates in that back end. They've got five stars all over the place at that position. How are they going to improve on allowing 323 yards passing per game last season?
1: Man, you always bring that fact when people talk about how good those two quarters are, whether it's Ricks or Stingley. You're like, yeah, but last year, look at how much, look how many points they gave up. See, I I I believe they'll be able
2: to get better. But the, And I think a lot of it had to do with Bo Polini. I think a lot of it had to do with Bo Polini. So I'm really excited to see, even though I'm not high on him, I'm really excited to see what they say about new defensive coordinator Durante Jones.
1: I think that's great to point out, the coordinators, and I'm curious to see what type of confidence Ed Orgeron brings because when this guy gets in front of a microphone, he's confident. When this guy gets in front of a microphone, he seems to be a rather cheerful and joyful person. I'm curious to see what his demeanor's like. And we'll talk about that when we come back day one of SEC Media Days. You're listening to On the Line special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmont Vodka, and Kia of
0: Domino's week-long carryout deal means you can carry out three topping pizzas for $7.99 each every day. That's right, $7.99 each, and every day means any day. But just in case there's any confusion, we've set up a helpful website to confirm if today's a day you can carry out three topping pizzas for $7.99 each at Domino's. Just go to howabouttoday.com to find out if Domino's week-long carry-out deal is valid today. Spoiler alert, it is. Carry-out only. You must ask for this limited time offer. prices, participation, and charges may vary. Excludes extra large and specialty pizzas. Crust availability varies by size.
3: Hey, it's Steve from the Car Stereo Shop in Auburn. We live in a world that is constantly changing, and the Car Stereo Shop is changing with it. The internet has created options for shopping and a misconception that your best deals are online. Not always is the cheapest price your best deal. Here's what you can expect at the Car Stereo Shop competitive pricing, quality products, a sales staff with outstanding product knowledge, the best warranties, and the best customer service. Come by the store at 1914 Opelika Road or visit us on Facebook or Instagram.
2: The Countdown to the Return of Real Football starts with SEC Media Days. And we're all about that on ESPN 106.7. Join us on all our live local shows. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, and The Drive for
0: special coverage from Birmingham all this week. Tune in weekdays from 11 a.m. till 6 p.m. to catch all three shows. SEC Media Days brought to you by the Orthopedic
2: Clinic, Redmont Distilling Company, and Kia of Auburn on ESPN 106.7.
4: The official motions for quiet. That's Ed from
3: Auburn Bank looking over another commercial loan application. He's assessing the capital needs of the small business. Long-term local relationships are his specialty.
0: The client's liking it. They're really liking it. They love it. Exactly the hands-on experience they were looking for. Another local business with the capital they need for a big win. Auburn Bank, champions of you. Member FDIC. On our journey, we've discovered a group of highly evolved North American beavers. This remarkable colony has turned its leather tails on sticks and twigs. Now they fancy yellowwood brand pressure-treated pine. Their enthusiasm when finding a board or two? (laughs) Nothing but the best for Mother Nature's elite builders.
1: For five-star backyards, yellowwood brand pressure-treated pine. If it doesn't have that yellow tag, you don't want it. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Welcome back to On the Lines special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmont Vodka, and Kia of Auburn. Live here on Radio Row. Lance, great day to be in Hoover, Alabama.
2: And to kick off SEC Media Days. Let me tell you something, man. This has been everything that I thought it would be and more. It's been a fantastic day here at SEC Media Day so far. I am absolutely thrilled to be here with you and to be able to get to interact with some of the coaches. We got to sit in and, uh, on uh, Florida's press conference earlier with Coach Dan Mullen, Ventrell Miller, and Zachary Carter. And then we also got to sit in with, uh, at Ogeron and the two players that he brought along respectively. It's been a fantastic day so far.
1: You mentioned the Florida lineup today. It was Dan Mullen, of course, and Zach Carter and Ventrell Miller, a defensive lineup for an offensive coach. We talked about that at length in our first segment there. But Dan Mullen was also asked about his offense and the changing the, the, the changing of the tide with that Florida Gator offense going into this year. Brand new quarterback, brand new receivers. They only have five starters coming back, and a lot of that's out of the running back room in the offensive line. He was asked about that. And when he was asked about it, he said he really didn't have a bread and butter that he typically fits his offenses to the players that he's got. He, tip- he he typically fits his offenses to his quarterback strengths. So let's take a listen to what Dan Mullen had to say here at SEC Media Day.
3: Yeah, like, you know, I guess after, I think, as, as Greg mentioned, 13 years here, I'm, I don't know which my bread and butter is, because we've, we've been all over the place with with every different style of quarterback. From, you know, if you go back to even being a coordinator, uh, you, know, you go back to, to the Alex Smiths and the, the Chris Leakes, uh through the Tebos, you know, to, to Tyler Russell and Dak Prescott. I mean, there's been so many different variations. I think the key to it is, uh, and one of the reasons we've been successful, is never trying to take a, a square peg and put it into a round hole. It's, let's identify what our guys do really well and build around the strengths of not just the quarterback but the offense as a whole. And we'll, we will go to do that this year and build around the strengths of our
1: So there you have it right there. Dan Mullen talking about how he's going to build around the strength of his quarterbacks, as that brings up the question that I have for
2: you. What is the strength of this offense and the strengths of the players returning? Well, I think for Emory Jones, he's going to be able to be a little bit more of a dual threat than Kyle Trask was last season. I mean, obviously there were instances where Trask was used in a quarterback draw situation. You saw it quite a bit in the SEC championship game. Uh, But I think Emory Jones is is a true, true dual threat. Uh, something that uh, Zachary Carter said about Emory Jones, is that, you know, everybody kind of likes to peg him as that guy that can run, but he's got one of the strongest arms he's ever seen at Florida so far. He's been incredibly impressive, incredibly tough to bring down. He's been a, a really, really fun guy to go up against, uh, Jones against Carter whenever they're both playing in practice. So, yeah, I think they're going to be more balanced, and it's something that, that Mullen said and something that both players said is, yeah, they, they, they believe the offense whenever they're everybody, all three of them, by the way, both the defensive players were asked about Emory Jones. All three of them said that this offense is going to be more balanced. There's going to be a little bit more running involved. So yeah, and Mullen said, like like we've been like we talked about, and like you just heard, he likes to fit his offense to the mold of his quarterback. Obviously, Emory Jones a little bit more comfortable running the football than than maybe quarterbacks he's had in the past. Um, and I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. Like I said uh, earlier to kick off the show in that pre-recorded segment, I think we are going to see a little bit more of spread option. I think we're going to see looks like that where we're going to get to see Emory Jones keep it all around the end. We're going to get to see what he can do in the open field. So, yeah, I think this there's going to be a lot more running in this offense. They've got the running backs to do it as well. They've got the offensive line uh, to do it. They've got a lot of veterans on this offense, even though they lost quite a bit in the receiver room. And that's something that Dan Mullen also said is, you know, we, we came into media days last year and we were like, okay, well, you lost your top four. Or targets how are you going to be able to replace those guys how are you going to be able to to play in the SEC whenever you don't have any experience he's like well we do have experience and Emory Jones is a guy that's gotten that experience in the SEC he's not coming in a stat with a stat line of nothing he's coming in with with actual playing time in some of these big-time games so yeah Running the football, I think, is going to be not a focus, but it's going to be seen a lot more in this Florida offense in 2021, and there's going to be a lot more balance. And according to Dan Mullen and according to some of these players, they have the veterans to do that.
1: Emory Jones has a passer at Florida, 56.3, completion percentage last season, two touchdowns, one interception, a 128.6. QBR only tossed the ball 32 times last year. And you look at him as a rusher a year ago, he ran the ball 32 times. So – Ran the ball just as many times as he threw the ball last year. He had a total of 217 net rushing yards, two touchdowns. Led the running back room. That's returning this year in yards per carry at 6.8 a year ago. Do you think that Emory Jones is more run first, or do you think that he still
2: has a lot to offer in terms of throwing the football? Well, I think when you look at the statistics here, and I think if you go back and look on tape, I think the, the packages that he, were coming into, he was coming into in those games were situational. I think they were trying to use his dual threat ability uh, uh, more than they would uh, than, than they would opt to throw with Emory Jones. I think you and I would both agree that we're probably going to see a little bit, we're probably going to see him throw more than he than he tries to run the ball this season. I think that's the standard for most quarterbacks if you're unless you're playing in some kind of option system or unless you're playing in something like Auburn did in 2013, 2014. So yeah, I would expect Emory Jones to throw it a little bit more than he runs it this season, but I do expect him to be one of those top three guys, maybe in the, even top two in terms of rushing production. But yeah, last season when you look at his numbers, like you mentioned, 32 attempts, 217 yards, two touchdowns, Touchdowns, I think most of that was situational. Now, does that mean we're not going to see that this season? No, I think we are, but I think whenever you look back at last season you look how, at how he's been used as a backup whenever he comes into the game, it was more of a package. It wasn't for that starting quarterback role. Anything that these guys had to
1: say, whether it be Dan Mullen or Zach Carter or Ventrell Miller, anything that any of those guys had to say that maybe be assuaged potential concerns that you had about a brand-new Florida Gator offense?
2: N- not, not anything special out of the ordinary. I mean, obviously, everybody's going to be able to hype up their guys and be able to, to talk about highly about how they're, the new stuff that they're bringing in is going to going to change what from what they did last season, they're going to be improving on it. Uh, you know they talked a lot about Emory Jones, and whenever they were Dan Mullen was asked, "What are your expectations of this kid?" He's like, "Well, if you look at my track record, I expect a lot of things out of my quarterback." So I'd say I have very high expectations, extremely high expectations of Emory Jones and this Florida offense, and he's going to try and build around that. I didn't expect him to to, to be hyping him up that much, um, but obviously you're going to talk good about your guys, and you're gonna you're gonna say that you have expectations for him. So it's good to see that Mullen expects to yield results from Emory Jones and you know honestly I thought there would have been a little bit of talk as like we're not going to be able to get back to where we were last season offensively I mean they were throwing the ball around the yard they were scoring I believe they might have been the first yeah they were first nationally in passing yards per game there was no talk about that they were just saying I expect Emory Jones to get us to that level and to compete at that level.
1: I was watching a bit of SEC Network Dan and went on the, the set a little bit after he finished up his time in the main media room. And I was listening to them ask him about – what this offense could look like this year. It's a brand new look, new quarterback and whatnot. They asked him a bit about the running backs though, and he talked about his offensive philosophy last year and how there were drives where and he said this, he said there were drives last year where they'd leave the field and they would say, Oh, well what's the play chart look like? And there were eleven passes and one rush. And so he actually spoke highly of these running backs when he was on the SEC network set saying, you know, these guys, you know, we may have not jump off the page in terms of yards, touchdowns, yards per carry, anything like that. But for the most part, they were efficient. And they were getting their four or five yards that they needed every time they stepped out of the field.
2: Right, it's something that we talk about, talked about a little bit in the pre-recorded segment. I mean, they've got a lot of production coming back at that position. Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, Naquan Wright, some of the guys, Then obviously Emory Jones is going to be able to line up in quarterback draw situations or just be able to run it off of options. So they've definitely got some experience in that backfield in terms of trying to rush the football and establishing that run game. And you know what? This is an SEC backfield. Something that you and I have talked about a little bit this summer is we're really surprised that some of these that some of these uh, magazines like Athlon and, and Lindy's have Florida's running back room graded higher above, above Auburn's, but whenever you look at it, it still is an SEC-caliber uh, running back room. They've got the, the recruiting-wise, it certainly is. They just haven't necessarily gotten the, the opportunity to shine because the, the scheme does not benefit them.
1: Let's take a quick break here. When we come back. We're going to talk about Dan Mullen's expectations for Amory Jones. You talked about big expectations for the new Florida quarterback. What do we expect to see from the QB? And a lot more. There was a spicy question about the Florida defense. We break that down when we come back. You're listening to On the Line's special coverage Stay of Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Red Vodka, and Kia of back on On the Line special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmont Vodka and Keo Vauber. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you here on the line, 2.33 p.m. here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun day of day one of SEC Media Days. Florida, LSU and South Carolina all making the rounds today. South Carolina should be getting here pretty soon if they're not here already. LSU is currently making their rounds across the various across the various rooms and, and the different media sets that they've got here on site, and then of course Florida's pretty much all done except for a couple of Florida players right now coming up and down Radio Row to speak with the various uh, the various radio stations that uh, have a, have a real vested Florida interest here. But looking into a little bit of what's been going on here with the Florida Gators and still breaking down. Uh, what Dan Mullen had to say about his offense, his defense, a spicy question about the defense and whatnot. We all tease that coming into this segment. Dan Mullen spoke about his expectations for Emory Jones. What do we expect to see from the quarterback? What does he expect to see from the quarterback? A good clip about that. Let's take a listen to that, and then we'll come back and talk about Emory Jones' expectations.
3: Uh, Well, I think if you know me with quarterbacks, I have very, very high expectations of my quarterbacks. Uh, my expectations are extremely high. I think, uh, you know, when it goes back to recruiting, when I got hired at Florida, uh, I said I had a, a, a message that Emory sent me. And, you know, I just sent him a text. He was committed to another school at the time. He sent a text. and says, Coach, I think when this shakes out, I'd be ready. I want to be your quarterback. And not I want to look at Florida. I want to consider this. Or I'm, I'm thinking about flipping schools. It was I want to be your quarterback. And so I think that part of when you look at, at who guys are um, is so critical. And and, and who they become. And then if you look at his progression, I mean he came in as a very celebrated high school player, highly ranked player. Um, and I think for, for a couple of years now, he's learned, he's grown, he's developed, he's a completely different player he was when he walked in, his understanding of the game and and you know, in his maturity. And I have a lot of respect for guys. I think mean, if you watch and you look at a lot of guys that have had success throughout the years, uh, he had the opportunity to look at a Kyle Trask, who went from a, a pretty much an unrecruited player that he came in and worked, prepared, bought his time, you know, learned how to do it the right way, all of a sudden was Heistman Heisman Trophy finalist and then now is an NFL player and you know, second round draft pick in the NFL. And I think when, when you look at that, you look at Dak Prescott who didn't play for his first several years uh, on campus, uh, you know, and now is highest paid athletes in the country this year. Uh, you know, I think Emory showed the maturity early on that it wasn't, I have to play day one. It was, I need to continue to be developed from day one to be prepared for my moment and my time And that's really what he's been able to do. And as I said, you know, you're looking at a guy that's going to, you know, as he comes into the season, he's not coming in with a stat line of nothing. Uh, He's coming in with a stat line that he's played uh, at at key times in significant games. And, uh, you know, I I think that's huge and it's prepared him for this time.
1: There you have it right there. Dan Mullen speaking about how his quarterback, he feels like he's prepared for this moment stepping into it because he's got experience in some big games throughout his career. You think back to him.
2: Uh, 13 yards on three attempts, rushing the ball as well. Something to note about that Auburn game is Florida was able to really attack the middle of the field really well, and Emory Jones was, was dead on accurate down the field and then throwing the ball across the middle. So we, we've, we've seen him do it against the best defenses in the country, but it's a very small sample size, and I'm not saying that he's this guy uh, but, but a guy that has a very similar stat line, like a collective stat line over over a couple of seasons is Jeremy Johnson. We saw him come into Auburn after getting to play in a couple of games. And everybody thought that he was going to be a world beater. Obviously, nobody's picking Emory Jones to go out there and win the Heisman. Uh, but it, but it's a very similar situation when you're stepping into an SEC program. You've got a little bit of experience coming in. I'm not saying it's Jeremy Johnson. I'm not even saying that that's potentially going to happen. I just want the people to be aware of that. You know, we've seen this in the past before. I'm not saying it's happening. Just want everybody to be aware of it. But I mean, yeah. do you think there's the same degree of hype here? No, not even close. I think Jeremy Johnson was was it, was not looking back on it overhyped, but he was hyped up so much. Uh, during that 2015 offseason. Uh, but, you know, talk about expectations. You know, Dan Mullen apparently has, has very, very high expectations of Jones being his quarterback. So in, in, in Florida's mind, you know, they're expecting jo- Jones to play uh, at, at a level that Kyle Trask was last season, which was a, a competing for the Heisman Trophy. So, uh, you know, he's, I'm really happy you asked the question, who would I rather have? I'd much rather be comfortable with a guy like Jones, knowing that he's had experience in some really big, big moments in the past.
1: Now, you and I looked at each other when this question was asked because this was a, this was a very spicy question about the Florida defense asked by Cono O'Gara from Saturday down south to him And it was, it was plain and simple. Why did the defense never quite get there last year? For the Florida Gators, you look at those defensive numbers, 30.8 points allowed per game last year. Dan Mullen, uh, I don't want to say that he kind of dodged the question a bit, but it definitely wasn't.
2: Uh, he definitely kind of sugarcoated a little bit said that the defense actually wasn't that bad. So Mullen didn't answer the question, but Ventrell Miller actually did. Mullen was like, well, I'd say that we, we, there were some moments last season where we figured it out and there were games and there were moments in those games. Where what did like, Miller have to say? Miller said that it was communication was the, was the biggest thing. Nobody communicated on the back. In, and um sometimes they would get into coverages and they wouldn't know what they were doing nobody would talk to each other and nobody was telling them to talk to each other and so that's something that they're going to key in on this season is they're going to be able, uh, uh, they're going to communicate with each other a lot more and they're going to try and figure some stuff out uh todd grantham defenses have been defenses have been burned in the past it, various sec schools and across the country uh, florida no exception last season i'm interested to see what grantham does and what some of these players do to kind of improve on that and kind of get some communication going because according to miller he said it over and over and over communication 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 uh it's interesting to see what they're going to do in order to get to just talk to each other because guys will talk to each other it's not about personality if you force guys to talk they will talk to each other eventually Let's take a listen to what Dan Mullen
1: had to say in response to that question from Conor O'Gara about his defense and why they just didn't quite get there last year. Let's take a listen to that.
3: I don't know about that because I think if you look at different games, we're very maybe erratic defensively at different times. Uh, but, I, but there's a lot of different things that go into that. You know, There's some games we played really, really well um, defensively. Uh, there's some games where I thought we played well uh, but statistically maybe weren't great. And if you look in a lot of those games, if, if you were gonna play us on the other side of the ball, you had to play a different style game maybe than you wanted to or expected to and take a lot of chances because we were gonna score points and you had to try to keep up with us. Or we jumped out to a big lead and you were just kinda, uh, you know, just, just you know, throw caution to the wind to try to put up yards and points uh, as fast as possible. Uh, you know, and there's other game. you know, one or two early in the year, I certainly think the, the learning curve of missing a spring practice and the time off and the speed of the game of going to tackle live uh, for the players and the time off of not being able to do that, uh, I think that showed early in the season and that improved as the year went on. So I don't know there's one thing or to say that it was uh, statistically was not where we want to be. But when I look and I go through game by game situations, I think it's easy to identify in this game here were our issues, and it wasn't one specific thing.
1: That was Dan Mullen speaking about why his defense you know it was it was rather underwhelming last year or at least when he was asked about a 30.8 points allowed per game last year lance your takeaway from dan mullen's answer
2: yeah and like he said at the very end there wasn't one specific thing and there were moments where they were successful but according to his players that wasn't the case it actually was something very specific and it was communication at least according to Ventrell miller uh so yeah i think that's kind of it's kind of what any coach would say in that situation is like well we're just trying to get improved as a whole and you know there were moments where we would good. where were we good I wouldn't trash my unit of course we'll get to what ed O'Gron said about his defense uh just a little bit later in the show uh but yeah it's something it's something that uh, i think is interesting to look at whenever you're talking about you know one coach is saying one thing but the players are saying something different uh maybe the coaches were afraid to say what ventro miller wasn't afraid to say um but yeah communication seemed to be the biggest issue for florida last season according to miller and uh according to dan mullen they're going to be able to improve on that because they've got Uh, experience in the back end. They've got experience, and it's still an SEC caliber unit defensively.
1: Dan Mullen's response to that question did not give me any type of confidence that this defense is going to have a massive overhaul or a massive turnaround. Next season, from thirty point eight points allowed per game, to be a top three,
2: top four unit in this league. Well, nothing stood out about the about the response, right? There was kind of no, dodged it a bit. He, he, he wouldn't address anything specifically. He wouldn't say, "Well, the defense line is going to be better, or the linebackers, or the secondary is going to be better." Also, it's
1: directed just, it towards the offense as well. Right. About, well, that's the way that we wanted to play. We wanted to score. It was kind of like he answered it, saying, "Our offense is our defense." Right.
2: And and something else to note is like he wouldn't call out anybody specifically or anything to do with the scheme. It's just like, you know, we've got a lot of older guys, and they're going to be able to step out there, and they're going to be able to compete. And he said that about the offense as well. Uh, But, yeah, nothing inspiring from that question or from that answer from Dan Mullen.
1: But something that is of an inspiring and noteworthy take here Auburn High standout or former Auburn High standout Mahmoud Diabate is a key player on that Florida Gator defense and Dan Mullen had a lot of great things to say about him when he was asked by Jordan Hill at the Auburn Opelika News so let's take a listen to uh, what he had to say there about Mahmoud Diabate.
3: Well I think you know Mahmoud's a a really uh, great athlete and dynamic player with with speed and burst coming off the edge. Uh, I think he's a guy, because of that, you've seen us, He, I love creative matchup issues. I think if you watch us offensively last year uh, with guys, we, we, do, we tried to do a great job and, and you know, spent a lot of time with Todd, uh, the defensive staff, making sure we're creating positive matchups. Well, Mahmoud's a guy that creates matchup issues for guys. And I think now, when you see him as he's growing uh, into being a, a linebacker, and you see him really growing into the instincts of being an every-down player, now is where the matchups really become a problem because now I can be an every-down player to backer, and now I can come off the edge. I can carry people in coverage. I understand the defense as a whole, and now I get to use my athleticism to become a dynamic playmaker.
1: And when you look at Mahmoud Diabate's stat line last year, he was second on the team in tackles, 69 tackles last year. One and a half sacks, five and a half tackles for loss. That five and a half tackles for loss mark led the team, or he was tied with Brenton Cox in that mark, which Brenton Cox is back as well. And that one and a half sacks, a little bit down on the list, but he's also playing outside linebacker in this Florida Gator defensive scheme. Five quarterback hurries, he's able to get in the backfield. That was third amongst returners coming back this year. One interception, one pass breakup, kind of a jack of all trades. And you can see why Dan Mullen likes using Mahmoud Diabate to create mismatches for opposing offenses. Right,
2: that's something he said during the interview is he just loves creating matchup issues with uh, Diabate off the edge. He said he's really explosive. Just got a lot of burst coming off the edge as a, as a pass rusher. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can improve on that one and a half sacks from last season. But something else that Mullen said is like, like you. We all just heard he's growing into his role as an every every down player. He's becoming more versatile, and he's going to continue to be developing developing himself as he sees a larger role in 2021. And you look at the stat line; it seems like this guy's pretty versatile already. He's been used in quite a different quite a different uh, schemes, and, and whenever it comes to packages on third third down, second down, first down. So it's going to be interesting to see how much further he can improve as a linebacker. Um, because it seems like he was doing just a little, a little bit of everything last year. But, you know, that sack total, if he's going to be as explosive as Dan Mullen says he is off the edge, I'd like to see that get up just a little bit.
1: What tier would you place this pass rush unit in for Florida going into this year?
2: If I was to grade it?
1: Yeah, still found a way to get
2: 35 sacks last year in 12 games. I would say if I was to grade it, I would say B+. I wouldn't say that it's elite. I wouldn't say it's the best in the, one of the best in the country, but I would say it's pretty close.
1: I'm impressed by their pass rush, but then again, you compare it to some of their numbers of the last two years, or really over the last seven years, 35 was about average amongst those last seven years, because you look to 2019, which was the best defense that they've had in the last seven years, at 49 sacks. So it's feasible to take a step back in a shortened season. Also, you lost a lot of talent last year. You take a 14 14- and also, you lost you lost the spring and, and whatnot. It, it makes sense to drop 14 sacks, but to only have dropped 14 sacks is impressive to me. I would still place this in the in the top tier of SEC
2: pass rushes. You think it's comfortable to say that they're A tier, or do you think B tiers?
1: B tier, because A tier I would only reserve for a couple of teams. For that mark but let's take a quick break here when we come back we'll continue to set the stage for the first day here at sec media days and uh, we'll keep everybody up to date lsu what's going on with them right now as they're making their rounds you're listening to on the line special coverage of sec media days presented by the orthopedic clinic redmont vodka in kiev albert
4: Whether you're a senior golfer or pro athlete, high school football player, or little league superstar, injuries are sometimes just part of the game. When it happens, it's nice to know the Orthopedic Clinic is here to get you back in action. The team of physicians at the Orthopedic Clinic offer the latest in treatment, procedure options, and complete rehabilitation for knees, hips, ankles, spine, and more. Don't let aches and sprains or more serious orthopedic issues keep you on the sideline. Visit theorthoclinic.com and schedule an appointment today.
0: Tzatziki's has your next flavorful, healthy, and fresh meal. Great for a family feast, a solo euro on the go, or catering for a thousand. Need it delivered to the office? Tzatziki's offers third-party delivery and online ordering for curbside or in-store pickup. Enjoy Mediterranean-inspired dishes, sauces, and salads freshly prepared for you at Tzatziki's in Auburn, Opelika, and by the shops at East Chase in Montgomery. Live the good life. Tzatziki's.com
1: back on on the line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama special coverage of SEC media days presented by the orthopedic clinic Redmont Vodka and Kia of Auburn Excellent day here at Media Days. We've talked a lot about Florida up to this point. We got to go through the entire Florida rotation before we got to do our show. And then, unfortunately, you get about 20 minutes of Ed Orzeron. And you asked Ed O a question, my man.
2: Yeah, I asked him. You know, he was talking a little bit before anybody started asking questions. He was talking about Durante Jones and how he's like, you know, he comes from that Vikings tree with Mike Zimmerman. And he's one of the best in the world in uh, making sure that your defensive backfield knows what they're doing and that they're competing at the best level or the highest level that, that there is out there. So I asked him, I said schematically, what are you going to do and what is Durante Jones going to do in order to improve the numbers that this defensive backfield brought in last season because I know with Eli Ricks and Derek Stingling in that backfield, you've got the talent to do it. And he said, well, we ran a lot of man last year. We ran a lot of mixed coverage along with man last season. And we we would go between really, really simplified stuff and then things that were way too complicated for our guys to grasp Uh, In in such a short amount of time, so we're gonna be simplifying the scheme down a little bit this season We're gonna be a lot running a lot more zone uh, a lot of different packages including uh, parts of zone And uh, we're gonna try and get our guys all on the same page so that everybody's communicating and just and and Focusing out there on their specific assignment, Uh, but yeah He said we're gonna be switching from a lot of man to a lot of zone this season
1: which is interesting, though, because Stingley and Ricks, you would imagine with the way that people hype them up, that these would be two of the best man-to-man quarters in w-
2: the league. That's what I thought. Is it like a, you know? I didn't cite specifically Eli, Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley. I just said, I know you've got the talent in the backfield to do it for sure. Uh, But you know those are probably probably two of the best man-to-man corners in the entire country So I don't really like if they're gonna run zone. That's fine But I don't know if that specifically tailors to those two guys strengths It'll be interesting to see the type of packages that that they run with those guys and see if they force them into different zone coverages But yeah uh, Those guys definitely stand out whenever they're sitting on an island on the on the outside of the field and They're man-to-man with some of the best receivers on the opposing team. So uh, yeah interesting response um, from Ed Ogier on there
1: what'd you think about what he had to say about his two new coordinators
2: and specifically Durante Jones he didn't have a whole lot to say about Jake Peets but like I said earlier you know Durante Jones one of the best in the in, in the business whenever it comes to uh, secondary play and coaching those guys up and so yeah I uh, if he if he is you know I hadn't really heard of him until uh until uh LSU went went out and hired the guy but um if he if if he comes from that NFL tree, he comes from that Mike Zimmerman tree, and he is one of the best in the business, according to Ed Ogeron. You know, I don't know how much weight that holds. Uh, just if you're just out there hyping your guys up, but uh, yeah, I would expect him to improve this unit somewhat. And, I th- and like we talked about, I believe it was on Friday of uh, last week, you know, I, I believe a lot of the issues that uh, LSU had last season offensively were scheme. I think a lot of it had to do with what Bo Pelini was drawing up. I think LSU's got all the talent in the world. It's star star power-wise, you know, the roster reflects that. And so I think if you put them in a competent scheme where those, those guys can actually go out there, communicate, and understand what actually is going on, They'll be able to excel. So if Durante Jones is anywhere near just a smidget better than what Bo Pelini was last season, I think they're going to improve. I don't know necessarily if it's going to be dramatically, uh, but I think I, I would expect to see some kind of improvement with Durante Jones as their new defensive coordinator.
1: Ed O came in with his opening statement, and he was very confident. He was straight to the point. Said, "Look, we've got a lot of guys coming back, which they do. They've got about 18 returning starters, depending on depending on what publication you're looking at, and and you know whatever your definition of returning starter is. At the high end, LSU's returning 18 different guys, nine on both sides of the football. That's one of the most returning experience halls." in this sec coming back for 2021 and he he listed off a ton of guys that he was confident in he started with that quarterback battle saying i'm confident in both of these quarterbacks it's good for competition it's pushing it's pushing these guys whether it's miles brennan or max johnson who gets the start phil still seems to believe that it's going to be miles brennan that's going to get the start and that was who started for lsu last year and won that job and then he went on to the receivers talked about Kayshawn boute talked about austin deculus and how he was a big part in getting all of these offensive linemen to come back which it is is an experienced and upperclassman-led offensive line. There's a lot of experience on that side of the ball. And then you go on to the defensive side, he had high praise for his
2: bookend corners. And Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley. Something that really surprised me about Austin Deculus is I, I believe he said he's just a few games away from being uh, having played the most games collectively in LSU history. Which I thought was really, really impressive. You know, that offensive line, you know, there's a strong veteran presence there. And I know that they lost air Rosenthal to the transfer portal into Kentucky just a week or so ago, but they've still got a lot of experience, a lot of talent up front, those big boys on the offensive line. And yeah, you look at the receiver room, Keisha Boutte should be one of the best receivers in the country. The question is, is who's going to be throwing to him? It's either going to be Miles Brennan or Max Johnson. I personally, and this is probably not the option that they're going to go with just based on what I understand, but I personally would probably go with a guy like Max. Johnson I really like what I saw from him to finish out the season last year I really like the competition that he faced I believe it was just a little bit better than what uh, LSU was facing early on the season in uh, Missouri Mississippi State and Vanderbilt Um, but yeah I I really like both of those options like Coach O said he believes that they're uh, championship caliber quarterbacks I don't know if I'd say that I would say that they're efficient and the scheme that they're they're going to be put in is going to benefit them Um, but yeah you could go with either those two guys and I would feel confident if I were him I would feel confident both those guys have shown the ability to run their scheme and run it effectively so whoever they go with uh, i can imagine they'd be happy with for the rest of the day here today south carolina
1: ought to be filing in pretty soon to get their rotation started coming up i guess probably in the next five minutes or so i think they begin their rotations at around three you've got the schedule in front of you but south carolina will be coming in relatively soon lsu still making their rounds at florida's day pretty much done so far and i think it's been a good day so far, and uh, what, what's been your main takeaway up to this point?
2: Well, I really liked the uh, I really liked the response uh, from Ventrell Miller as far as like you know we're gonna get out there and we're gonna actually communicate a little bit better. And then I was really interested to see. Uh, what what some of these guys, the coach, or Dan Mullen and some of these those two players had to say about Emory Jones, and you and I have not been incredibly high on him. We've just kind of been holding back a little bit, so I was really excited to see what they had to say about Jones.
1: Coming up at the start of hour number two, we're going to have Jake Crane of the J-Boy Show. We're going to talk to him a little bit about his takeaways today and preview the rest of the week here at SEC Media Days. You're listening to On the Line, special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic Redmont Vodka at Keogh of
0: or toll-free
1: at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Special coverage of SEC Media Days in Birmingham presented by the Orthopedic Clinic with locations in Auburn and Opelika. Redmont Vodka distilled right here in Birmingham and Keough Auburn where you're always number one. Starting off hour number two, as we promised, Jake Crane of the J-Boy Show here on the line with us
4: today. Jake, how's it going, my man? Hey, Noah, man, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. It's going great. This is my first media day, man, so it's kind of like stepping out in the field for the first time, kind of seeing my surroundings, and we're going to play a little ball, man. I'm excited. What's your takeaways from today, then? You know, it's your first time here, you know, soaking it all in. What, What do you think? Well, it's been, first off, it's been very organized. Uh, shout out to the Winfrey. Shout out to everybody putting it on. I mean, it's been very easy to get places, navigate places. Uh, Radio Row's been outstanding with everybody. I, I like the vibe. You know, to quote uh, to quote White Goodman and Dodgeball, there's a really good energy in the gym. And, you know, whenever <laughs> there, there's a good energy in the gym, it's always fun. So, uh, listening to Coach Mullen speak. And it's funny, I was on the elevator ride down with Shane Beamer. And me and him were talking a little bit. I've had him on the show. And like I told you before we got on here, man, it's... I've had a lot of these guys on the podcast, you know, but it's one thing to have got somebody on the podcast and then to meet them in in real life, so it's been really cool.
1: Well, let's start off with the teams in order in which that they appear today. Florida was first up, and Dan Mullen was asked, you know, anything ranging from what was his favorite Star Wars movie to why his defense didn't quite <laughs> cut it last year. What was kind of your takeaway from Dan Mullen overall arching, and then we'll kind of get into the nitty gritty.
4: Yeah, well, you know, I thought Dan uh, protected his guys. Uh, you know, he's asked about Georgia and said, you know, well, we hear that a lot, and, you know, you're, you're always going to try and be respectful. But, you know, nowadays, especially with the type, you know, players we have and the side we have nowadays, you've got to have that edge a little bit. And uh, I liked what he said there in defending his guys and being able to go back to the locker room and tell them, listen, you know, we, we think we can beat anybody out here. But, you know, I actually have Florida finishing fourth in the East, and I know people are going to think that sounds crazy. But I look at their schedule. They go to a Missouri team that's starting to get scary with Eli and Connor Bazalak and Beatty and those guys guys over there defensively I question the middle of Missouri's defense but they go to Kentucky uh, as well they go to LSU they go to South Carolina so you got Bama week three which to me is judgment day for Todd Grantham and that defense so uh, look the biggest questions for me for Florida are defensively and the offensive line there's no way they're gonna be able to replicate what Trask and Pitts and Tony and all those guys were able to do last year and if the defense doesn't cut it uh, then it's gonna be uh, a, a down year in Florida and I expect that to happen
1: Judgment Day, week three, you talk about Alabama. Cono O'Gara of Saturday Down South asked a spicy question and asked him, you know, why did this defense not not make it happen last year? They allowed over 30 points a game, 30.8 points allowed per game last year for Florida. What do you think about this defense with only five returning starters?
4: Well, you know, I always say if, if <laughs> just because you returned doesn't mean you played good, you know, so sometimes it's not bad to lose guys off a, off a unit, but – you know, when I look at, at the elite defenses in this league and I look at the elite offenses in this league, because that's the thing about defense, not defense versus defense, defense versus offense, uh, I just look at Florida's pass rush and I question it. Uh, you know, you they lose Major Burns that, that goes down to LSU, which may be the worst name for a DB I've ever heard, but he's a pretty good <laughs> player. Uh, but, you know, uh, there's a lot of question marks. And, and here's the problem. When you go through the things uh, that – uh, they've gone through uh, at Florida with Grantham, with the stuff off the field that we've heard, you know, they weren't seen eye to eye. You better start off good because if you don't, it's going to go downhill fast. That's why I say it's week three is judgment day. I think it's going to – I don't know if Grantham makes it to week five. Wow, really? And I hate to say that. I coached for nine years, and, and I never wish anybody to be fired, but I got to call balls and strikes, man.
1: On the flip side, on the offensive side of the ball, he was asked about what his bread and butter was. And, you know, I think he had a really good answer to that question, although he said he didn't know what his bread and butter was. What he really meant, what he said that, I feel like, was that he fits his offense to the strengths of his players. Emory Jones is a different style quarterback than what he's had the last couple of years at Florida. Between Felipe Franks or Kyle Trask, whoever it was, those guys, they were throwing the ball 11 times on a drive. Emory Jones ran the ball as many times as he threw the ball last year, 32 pass attempts, 32 rush attempts. What changes do you think we see on the offense?
4: Well, I think you're going to go back to some old Dan Mullen-style offenses. I mean, you remember Tim Tebow. You remember Dak Prescott. Now, they don't have Tim Tebow or Dak Prescott on that roster. But, he, you know, he's used to having a quarterback that, that has to be able to run the ball. And here's here's where I think that the, the rubber meets the road. Uh, Forda's offensive line has to get better. Because you're not going to be able to, like I said, replicate what they did last year through the air with Emory Jones and losing the guys that outside. Even though I know Copeland's talented, Shorter's talented, I got a couple guys that, that are talented. You're not going. Kyle Pitts was a generational player. So when I look at having a running quarterback that you're going to have to run more with an offensive line that struggles, to me that 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 spells inconsistency. So I've got to see Emory Jones become a better thrower before I believe in him being able to throw them to wins. But I don't think it's outside of Dan Mullins bag, per se, to be able to have a quarterback like that. I think he's actually used to that. What makes Dan Mullen dangerous is that he can do multiple things with multiple type guys, uh, and he's very you know malleable when it comes to that. Uh, so just looking at it, uh, I just see Ford is struggling, and, and I love Dan Mullen as a play caller, but I just don't think you can fit a running style quarterback, or at least a half running style quarterback, with an offensive line that's not very good. Flipping the page now to the LSU Tigers, and Ed O. came up confident
1: in his opening uh, in his opening statement, talked about how oh, he has confidence in both of his quarterbacks, which you know the old adage is if you got two quarterbacks, yeah. you have no quarterbacks. <laughs> and LSU's had a whole lot of interesting things happen throughout the offseason. It felt like at one point every week there was more bad PR yeah. coming out for LSU. So where do you stand with these Tigers?
4: Yeah, well, you know, I think LSU has a bounce back year, and, and here's why. There's multiple reasons. Last year, you know, obviously with COVID, and they lost a ton off that 2019 team, they return a lot of really good players. And LSU plays better as an outsider. And to be honest with you, you know, from a fan perspective, I can understand looking on the outside and be like, this stuff is horrible, like it's it's going to derail the team. But sometimes, and when you have a coach like Ed O, that stuff brings you together. It's the us against the world mentality. Uh, I really think um, uh, when, it, when you look at it, LSU is, is the outsider lsu does better with a chip on their shoulder i think ed orgeron is a motivator he's not a schematical genius he relies on his coaches to do that so i think it fits right into that narrative and they have to start out well with all the stuff around it. but i think lsu ties for a and uh and actually holds the tiebreaker with uh over a and m because they planned last week of the season at home to finish second in the west Looking at this LSU team, you talk about all the
1: talent that they bring back, but let's look in at that quarterback position Miles Brennan or Max Johnson. Where do you think it
4: goes? Man, I'm Max all the way. Because, hey, again, and that's not saying Miles isn't a good player, but why am I going to put Jeep tires on a Corvette? You know, when I look at what Jake Peets does from a schematical standpoint, what DJ Mangus says from a schematical standpoint, they want to spread you out. They want to RPO you. They want to zone read you. I think you're going to see some of the Sarkeesian formations and motions, the, the tight ends uh, in line, tight ends on the edge rather of the double stack, stuff like that. But what Max Johnson brings you, and if you look at elite offenses, every play does not go how it's supposed to go that works out well. It's not drawn up. Guys aren't just running wide open. You have to have a guy that can extend the play. That's what makes quarterbacks that are mobile, that keep their eyes downfield so dangerous. To me, that's what makes Haynes King the guy that's going to win the job at Texas A&M. Uh, I think it makes uh, you know a guy like Bryce Young really dangerous at Alabama when you can not only move the pocket, but you can extend the play and turn it into a scramble drill. So to score the points that they need to score with the personnel that they have, with the system they're running, I think it's Max Johnson all the way.
1: Is Kayshaun Boutte the next great LSU wide receiver? Yeah,
4: I think he's one of the most underrated wide receivers coming into the season. What he did at the end last year, I mean, look, anybody that does what he did against the teams that he did as a young guy, uh, I love the way he's able to get in and out of his breaks. You know, that's something a lot of guys have vertical speed. A lot of guys can run straight fast, but he's able to get in and out of his brakes. He's able to stick his foot. He can set you up uh, with his eyes, with his head at the safety position, which is a next-level type thing that he's already doing. You parlay that with a guy like Max Johnson. And, again, it goes back to what I said. Max sometimes will break the pocket, and he's going to find Boutte. Boutte's going to get open, and that's when, if you remember 2019 LSU, that's what basically Joe Burrow did the whole time. It was, you know, follow the bouncing balls. Oh, there's Jamar Chase. Oh, oh, there's Justin Jefferson. The rest of the aliens they had running around out there on offense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> defensively though it's hard to believe that a defense that features Eli Ricks and Derek Stingley last year and granted they dealt with injuries but it's hard to believe that those two guys played on a defense they gave up 34.9 yeah. per game
4: yeah well you know get out of man Bo Pelini uh, you know especially against Mississippi State but you know when I think of LSU it's so funny everybody talks about LSU offensively when I think of LSU I think about dogs on defense I think about defensive linemen that they're just rolling in that are just NFL guys I'm thinking about linebackers I'm thinking about you know <laughs> all the DBs that they've had and and I look I think the major Burns pickup was big Ed talked about that today uh, playing alongside those guys with Ricks and Stingley but I think where LSU is going to be different this year is up front on the defensive line Mason Smith last year a five star number one defensive tackle in the country they signed it's an unbelievable player. He would start day one at eight, at most places. He's third string right now on the depth chart at, at LSU. They're going to be able to rotate, in my opinion, eight, maybe ten guys. That's what Georgia's done. That's what Alabama kind of does sometimes, even though you don't want to take Parmore out of the game ever last year. Uh, but no, I, I think LSU comes back. I think that defense can be pissed off. Speaking with Jake Crane of the J-Boy
1: Show, South Carolina Gamecocks, you were talking with Shane Beamer earlier. Anything that you can give away on that or is all that Well, you inside? know, look,
4: look, it's year one. It's elevator and, and talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. It's elevator music. I got one even better for you. Um, but, no, you know, mainly we talked about Shane wanting to put a helmet on, on our studio set because we don't have a South Carolina one. You have been asking for <laughs> one. But, no, you know, I look at Shane, and, and Shane's smart enough, and they're recruiting at a high rate right now in South Carolina if you look what they're doing. Out of all the coaches, including Brian Harson, Shane Beamer's out recruiting all of them and it's not even close in his first year. Now, you know, you look at the portal, that, that's another thing. But uh, when I look at him and what, what he thinks from a mindset, one of the questions I asked him when I had him on was, you know, what type of head coach are you? you CEO? You, you know, he's like, to be honest with you. I don't know. He's like, it's the first time in practice I've walked around and been able to go to different positions. Like typically as an assistant coach, you've got to stay at your position. Uh, even as an OC, typically you're coaching the quarterbacks or a position like that. So uh, I think he's smart enough to know he's got to fit what they do around his personnel because he doesn't have his guys in there yet. It takes two. Excuse me, two, at least three cycles to be able to get there. But I think Shane will wade the waters. Uh, I say will wade? That's amazing that came out. Um, <laughs> you know, will, uh, he'll be able to navigate early. Uh, now, if they get to a bowl game year one, I'd, I'd be very impressed. But I think we're going to look back year three and year four like uh, this guy really laid the groundwork.
1: What do you think his perception was of the South Carolina program? Because a 2-8 and team last year that – Outside of – I don't want to call it a fluke, but I feel like a lot of Auburn's issues were the reason why Auburn lost that game to South Carolina last year. It's kind of like yeah. they – and even, even more so, they only bring back one good player off that team last year yeah. in Kevin Harris. So where,
4: where is – what do you think the perception was walking into South Carolina? Do you think it's full rebuild mode? Well, you know – you you got to remember, Shane was there under Spurrier when they won 33 games in three years. And he was there when they – he was the recruiting coordinator when they signed Jadavian Clowney. And they signed Alshon Jeffrey. And they signed all these guys. So Shane's always confident. And, you know, when we talked, it, it, it wasn't, a, okay, guys, we're just going to get through this year and everybody's going to have fun and, you know, whatever, we're going to wave towels. Like, they're going in trying to win. But I think his perception is he's as competitive as anybody. And, you know, he wants to go in there and win every game. But – being around Frank Beamer, being the son of Frank Beamer, being under Lincoln Riley, under the guys that you've seen, you, you understand that to build you know the DeLorean that can travel through time it, it takes time and you've got to wreck it a couple times and, and I think he understands that and more importantly I think the fan base is behind him and they understand that you haven't seen a lot of riffs in between you know we saw it at Mike Norvell in Florida State and some other places whatever whatever Kevin Steele in Auburn when Brian Hartson was hired all that stuff we haven't seen that with Shane Beamer so I like the marriage there I think we could see Shane at South Carolina for a long time
1: you even kind of begin to see it a little bit now as of yesterday with Vanderbilt and Clark Lee with yeah. the numbers situation I know a lot of people <laughs> don't like what's going on there
4: I, I got to. Th- theory on that. Go for it. And, and it's just from the coaching background is that one of the things that I think he's trying to do and again, I may be off on this, is that learning the guy's by name and who they are and being able to tell who they are because there's nothing more disrespectful to a player that is out there going through inside drill. They're hitting each other. They're running. They're puking. They're doing the mat drills. And, and you the guy's been there six months, and you go, uh, one coach goes, hey, uh, 42, get over here. I wonder if that's the theory behind it because if it's not, then it's ridiculous because I feel <laughs> bad for the GAs that have to tag the film and are just like, uh, who made the tackle? Like uh, yeah. we got to go back through and like look at like t- it's like it's like finding somebody that committed a crime it's like does he have a tattoo on his left arm you know whatever <laughs> is he six foot four you know they t- clue you may have to have a sketch artist yeah. for the GAs uh, at Vanderbilt to find out who did what
1: I know they're not for a couple of days but since we've gone down this road and we're talking about teams that are probably at the bottom of the SEC East three new coaches mm-hmm. Tennessee South Carolina Vanderbilt rank them in that order
4: well, if I was going for who was going to finish higher next year, I, I just think South Carolina's personnel is so bad. I, I think Tennessee finishes fifth. I think uh, South Carolina finishes sixth. I think Vandy finishes seventh. Um, but ranking them over the long term, I would definitely put Shane first. Here's what I think about Josh Heupel. I think Josh Heupel in Tennessee is like the girl you date before you find the one you're going to marry. Like like That's what I feel like (laughs) to try and get them through this you know, NCAA cloud that's coming. It's a stopgap higher to me because I look at this offense that he runs. It's not going to work in the SEC. You can't go warp speed like that and leave the defense. You're not going to score. This isn't Memphis versus UCF. And what happens is if you go 100 miles per hour like that and you don't start off good against any team that's worth their salt, you're in trouble because What's going to happen when all of a sudden teams go, okay, well, we're halfway through the second quarter. Josh Heupel's defense been on the field for 60 plays already. By the third, fourth quarter, they ain't got enough at Tennessee. I'm, I'm, and I know I'm using terrible grammar. I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I'm a coach that does does media now, uh, not the other way around. But they don't have enough dudes to be able to combat that. So I said the same thing about Lane, uh, but Lane doesn't go nearly as fast as Josh. Will Josh Heupel go the speed limit at all in Tennessee? That's the question
1: funny. Tennessee's been dating for a long time, Jake. Man, they're, they're like uh, the
4: 40-year-old virgin, man. <laughs> Jake, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Definitely. Well, uh, you can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's the J-Boy Show, T-H-E-J-B-O-Y-S-H-O-W. Our Twitter got hacked this past Saturday, uh, so we're getting that fixed. But, you know, trying to get Twitter to fix something, you got a better chance of changing the UN's mind on anything. But uh, we should get that back here in a couple days. We're at J-Boy Notes now. While we wait to get that back, we got some huge announcements coming up starting tomorrow. Really excited about that. But uh, also the j Show.com. we got merch and all type of stuff. It's, it's not. It's cheap. Uh, Not the cloth, but the price. So I appreciate you guys having me on. we got to do this again, man. That's right. Appreciate it, my man. We'll see you around this week. Anytime, brother. Fist bump it.
1: That was Jake Crane of the J-Boy Show here on the line with us. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll keep breaking down what's been happening here at day one of SEC Media Days. You're listening to On the Line special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmont Vodka, and Keough Auburn. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama, special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmont Vodka, and the Kia of Auburn. Lance just had Jake Crane of the J Boy Show on with us. Excellent 15-minute interview there. What were your takeaways?
2: Well, it's always fun to sit down and talk to Jake for a little bit. You know, honestly, uh, I'm kind of I kind of stand with him as far as as uh, as what he was saying. Uh, specifically about Florida and that defensive line, you know, something that we were talking about before we headed to break at the top of the hours is, is how impactful that poten- that pass rush could potentially be for Florida. You know, 35 sacks last year, but it was in a year where they only played 10 games. You'd like to see that total get up a little bit more, and then specifically for DeBate, you know, like I said before we headed to break at the top of the hour, one and a half sacks last season, see if you can improve on that total, and it starts with that defensive line. If they can generate a little bit more of a pass rush, I think these linebackers that they have are exceptional, and then the defensive backfield You know, they only bring back one starter out of the five guys that are going to be playing in that secondary in Elam, but you would expect them to get that unit uh, up and ready. Taking a look at
1: what Ed Orgeron had to say today, you asked him a question a bit about the defense and how things might be shifting under new coordinator Durante Jones. You and I both have had a lot of questions about this LSU football team because there's, although 18 returning starters, there's a lot of new with the LSU Tigers. Two coordinators... We don't know who's going to be starting at quarterback. Brand new receivers. Do you feel like we learned anything new about the quarterback
2: situation, or do you think it was pretty much kept on the down low? Well, something that I think we learned is that uh, is that Jake said that it was a, it was a three three man competition, or rather, uh, Austin Eckler said said just a minute ago that he would be really excited with whoever won that three man competition. But the only two quarterbacks named by Ed Ogeron during his uh, press conference were Max Johnson and Miles Brennan. Grant Nussmeyer was not talked about at all, and so I think that gives me an indication the fact that those guys are the two front runners, and that Nussmeyer's last behind a little bit and so so yeah when you look at that quarterback room I think in, in terms of the competition that's going down right now uh, I think you got to be able to give it to either Miles Brennan or Max Johnson and you know obviously Miles Brennan the guy that's had a little bit more experience he's been at Florida just a little bit longer but like Jake said I really like Max Johnson and the type of things that Jake Peets is going to be able to do with this new offense and the and how Max Johnson fits that mold just a little bit better than I think Brennan does.
1: Do we feel more confident in these coordinators now that we've heard Coach O speak about his football team? He's
2: such a confident guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel very confident in, in, in Jake Peets at all, to be honest with you. Again, hadn't heard of either of these guys before they got hired at LSU. I didn't really know anything about them, so I don't, they, they didn't inspire confidence whenever they first got hired, and I didn't hear Ed Otron say anything that would have led me to believe that, that Jake Peets is going to be something incredibly special uh, in 2021. Now, I do, I'm do. i really happy that I got to hear a little bit about Durante Jones and who he is and his, his tree, and I was able to ask that question about, you know, how is he going to be able to help benefit at LSU specifically specifically in, in, in not allowing so many passing yards like they did last season. And that's something else that Ogeron said in my response to the question is that, you know, we have to eliminate uh, explosive plays. Too many explosive plays, too many missed assignments, too many busts, receivers downfield running fleet free. Again, played a combination of man, but just a lot of man overall, stuff like that. Some of it was simple. Some of it was overly complicated. That he's going to simplify stuff. And he wants his players to have the cleats, his cleats, his their cleats in the grass. Uh, we're going to play a lot more zone. Uh, They're not going to be switching off, and they're going to be off on the level that they were last season. It's going to be a little bit more simple. And they want to be able to keep the ball in front of him. And he believes that Durante Jones is going to be able to help LSU do all of those things. So to be able to hear, like you said, Ogeron's such a confident guy, so anything coming out of his mouth about his program, he's probably going to be hyping his guys out, probably going to be getting everybody excited about the new faces that are on the coaching staff and that are, that are playing for LSU this season. But, yeah, uh, I, I didn't really hear anything that was inspiring about Jake Peets, but I, I liked what I, what I heard about Durante Jones. He's
1: also asked about some of the -the off-the-field stuff that was going on inside the LSU program, which we've talked about this at length. We talked about this in our pre-recorded segment earlier, what are the storylines about this LSU program going into this year. And, uh, you know, the -the off-the-field stuff is definitely something that's been brought up, and Ed Orgeron addressed that. And he kind of talked about that Florida game a bit as something where it was kind of pointing to, His football team rallied and made something happen at the end of the year, and he feels like they're going through a lot of this stuff together.
2: Right. He, like like he said in his uh in the press conference, when you go to Florida and you're a 27-point underdog, your back's against the wall. You have a freshman quarterback, you beat him in the swamp, you beat a, beat a great Ole Miss team after that, and he thought that it was an outstanding team that Lane had. There's something going on in the locker room. Something is going on. Our players believe in each other. I think all those things at the end, we ended up being an ascending program, so he believes that the off-the-field issues that they're having right now, you know, they're kind of in a – uh, football-wise, they're in a positive direction. They're trending upwards. He believes that the last season at the End of it, they they had a, positive, a couple positive things going for them. Obviously, whenever you go and beat a really talented Ole Miss team offensively on the road, and you're able to go and you're able to go play and beat Florida as a 27 point underdog, you're going to have a little confidence heading into the offseason. Uh, but you know there are some things that are that are going on behind the scenes, I believe. So uh, that that are some interesting things to look at. For instance, their offensive line coach uh, being let go, Darren Rosenthal entering the transfer portal. Uh, all the different off-the-field issues that are going on with some investigations and things like that. So, yeah, I'm glad that Ogeron's able to keep a positive attitude and and believes that his program is going trending in a positive direction because if they can get past some of these off-the-field issues, I believe they'll be just fine this year. Taking a look at his comments about being an ascending program, and
1: he points out those two wins at the end of the year against Florida and Ole Miss, which, honestly, you look at, all of their wins throughout the year that that's their those two of their best wins on the schedule what about that florida team? do do you buy that do you buy that they're an ascending team
2: you and i have talked about this quite a bit Uh, we don't we're not exceptionally high on lsu this season and i would not i would not say that i buy into the fact that they are with that being said though do you think they're going to be better this year than they were last year sure sure and in that in that aspect i believe that they're going to to uh they're going to build on what they did last season. They're not going to be as bad as they were defensively, especially in that defensive backfield. I don't think they're. I think they're going to improve. Um, as far as ascending, I don't think they're ascending dramatically, though. I think they're going to. I think. I don't think they're going to make a huge jump this season. Because again, I just don't. I just don't know enough. Even though I learned a bit, a little bit today about the coordinators, I don't know enough about these guys in order to say, yeah, okay, they'll be able to get LSU back to nine wins, ten wins, eleven wins, maybe finishing second in the West behind Alabama.
1: In those two football games against Florida and Ole Miss, not two good defenses. We've already broke this down. We talked about Florida's defense giving up over 30 points a game. We talked about Ole Miss's defense. Of course, they're one of the worst in the entire country, not just the SEC. They were only able to average 3.6 and 3.7 yards per carry, respectively, in those two football games. And anybody could run against those two teams. And then you talk about their passing performances. Quarterbacks were 21 for 36 against Florida, 27 for 51 against Ole Miss, so barely above 50% in both of those games. Now, they did throw for 239 yards against Florida, 435 yards against Ole Miss. So they still got the yardage, that's not necessarily the efficiency. It was high risk, high reward in those two matchups. I'm curious if there is a whole lot of meat to that or, you know, what was it? What were we seeing at the end of the year from LSU? Was it Ascension or was it more of Ole Miss just was kind of uh, an average football team, didn't have a defense Florida, yeah. didn't play a good
2: football game. Well, Ole Miss couldn't stop a nosebleed last season, and that was evident. I mean, you can look statistically. You can either look on film, you can look statistically. I mean, they were they were poor last season. They couldn't stop anybody. And then Florida, on the other hand, you know, pass defense-wise, they had some issues. They certainly had some issues, and they gave up 37 points to a Ford team. Part of that, though, was a pick six. Don't forget that. It, it, it wasn't as many points as you, as you think whenever you look at the final score. Um, but, yeah, they were kind of forcing the issue against Against two defenses that were porous on the back end and you know yeah I think I think that's fair to say I don't necessarily again I don't think that this program is at the level of ascension that maybe (laughs) I hate to say it say it this way but the 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 level of ascension that as thinks that they're going to get to this season I I still have my concerns I still have some reservations about this coaching staff as a whole so yeah I think those were two when you look at those final two games I don't think there's a ton that you can take away from it because at the same time, you know, while there were some positive things to, to look at, and the fact that they won those two games is fantastic. You know, they were they they were going up in in some matchups against those two squads where they would be they would be effective because you look at what LSU was able to do last season, what they like to do, throw the football around the yard over three hundred passing yards a game, so they were able to go out and execute matchup wise pretty well against two. Pretty bad defenses.
1: Yeah, and I break down those last two football games from a statistical standpoint. It's not like the defense played any better in those two games either. Still gave up 34 to Florida, gave up 48 to Ole Miss, which is above their average and what they allowed last year. So I don't think that the defense really played any better in those last two games of the year. Their offense played better, but you could also suggest – that that was an issue mainly with those with with the defensive competition that they faced in those two games because you think about all the teams that they played before that Auburn was fifth in the SEC in points allowed per game Arkansas I believe was sixth in points allowed per game Texas A&M was second in points allowed per game and Alabama was first in points allowed per game you look at that those were the four teams that they played just prior to playing Florida and Ole Miss of course you're going to look better in those two games when you play the four teams before that
2: yeah, and you look at the you you talk about their offense not not being incredible in during that stretch. You look at the points that they scored during that stretch. Eleven against Auburn, twenty-seven against Arkansas, seven against AM, and seventeen against Alabama. So they definitely did have their issues against better competition.
1: We need to take a quick break here. You're listening to on the line special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmont Vodka, at Keogh Albert.
0: Stay on the line. More of
1: the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you for special coverage of SEC Media Days presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmont Vodka, and Kia of Auburn. Day one here at SEC Media Days in Hoover. It's been a fun day up to this point. We we'll talked with Jake Crane of the J-Boys show. If you missed any of our shows so far, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Also, keep up with all of the content from SEC Media Days out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter at Radio AL Sports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's Sports.net. About 30 minutes left of the show here until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck following us on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going back to Dan Mullen earlier today, he was asked about college football playoff expansion. What was kind of your takeaways from what he had to say? Keep it real, I didn't hear what he had to say about it. (laughs) Well, I'll be honest with you, it was kind of... uh, it was kind of going back into a little bit of the history a little bit is what it seemed of of how the how college football has evolved a bit going back to when it was the bcs system to four team playoff and whatnot and a lot of these coaches when they're asked this question some are for it and some are just kind of don't really have too much of an opinion on it
2: yeah and uh and you know we've we've gotten to hear for Auburn fans listening we've gotten here Brian Harson's opinion on it, and I'm sure he will be able to flesh that out a little bit here uh, in the coming days whenever he's able to talk on Thursday but he, he's he is for expansion and some of is some coaches flip-flop on it uh, I personally really like the four play uh, 14 playoff system I really enjoyed that of course if we are going to for be forced uh, into an 18 playoff which seems like it's most likely going to happen you know I, I'm excited to see some of the matchups that could potentially stem from that at the end of the day though I think we're going to consistently see uh, similar results to what we have seen in the past with with the 14 playoff system but yeah uh, not not a whole lot to 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 gather from a coach that doesn't really (laughs) articulate his opinion on it um, but but I'm sure I'm sure that is a question that is going to be brought up. as something else that we didn't talk about a whole lot on Friday, Noah. Some of these questions that are going to be asked. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be touched on in regards to NIL and how players have been handling that and how programs have been handling that. Every coach has been asked that. So I think we're going to be we're going to see a lot of stuff about CFP or yeah CFP expansion, and we're going to see a lot of things about NIL as well. Let's
1: take a listen to what Dan Mullen had to say about college football playoff expansion.
3: I, I don't know. I mean, I, you have to look at it. I mean, honestly, I, I blow up my Jurgen Klopp and say, "Hey, I'm a." That's a question for Commissioner Sankey. I'm just here to coach football. Uh, but the, uh, you know, I, I think I think change. I think when the playoffs started, uh, if you would have asked me when the, the, the you created the 14 playoff, I'm sure someone did. If you ever looked back and filed, I said it's going to change a lot of things about college football. Not immediately, but over the long haul, it will change a lot of things about college football. Um, and I think it will. And I, I think eventually you will. We will end up getting to an expansion. Uh, I would imagine that, that would come uh, sometime in the future. Uh, but um, you know, I, I, I think we're still learning. You know, it's interesting to see. We last year we had a lot, several opt outs during the bowl game. Now last year was also a very, very difficult year as a whole, uh, mentally and emotionally, uh, for players. And in the, the previous two years we didn't have any opt outs. So, uh, when you look at it, I don't know if that was a one off or, or how it's going to change in the long term picture of how that'll change things. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think college football will continue to evolve. And once the playoff system started, I think that just was the first step of the, the college football old bowl system that you knew and the college football we knew changing into the future.
1: Talks a lot about change. Said, I don't know at the beginning of it. And, of course, we've given our opinions at length about the college football playoff expansion. And I think you and I can both agree it'll be more fun and it might produce more matchups that are intriguing, especially in the early rounds. And you might see some parity in the early rounds. But at the end of the day, is it the best way to find a national champion? I think some of these teams that are at the top, like I'm curious to see what Nick Saban will say about this later on in the week, the teams that are at the top that are consistently in the top four, those have the most to lose in this change because they consistently prove on a regular basis that they deserve to be there, They that they are among the nation's best when they go undefeated and whatnot. And then now they have to prove it across three more games. Injuries, war of attrition, you see that at the FCS level. It can derail maybe the best team, and the best team may not win it. So is it the best way to find a national champion? Probably not, but it might be more entertaining.
2: Yeah, it's something that you and I have talked about a little bit on the show. Is that for me personally, you know, the fourteen playoff worked well because you know there are probably somewhere between four and eight teams that deserve a shot at the national title because you look at the teams that will be filling those spots outside of the the uh, the Power Five champions or the, the 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 I believe it's the way the system's going to potentially work. It's the top five. It's the top ranked. Conference champions, excluding the Power Five or the Group of Five, it's the top five ranked champions, and then it's it's um it's it's auto bids or it's it's not auto bids after that. Um, so it's yeah, top six. It's top six rather. Yeah. So I think it's a little bit frustrating uh, to to look at that and say, well, does a team from the Sun Belt truly deserve to go win a national title? Have they proved it against the best competition? Have they gone out there and recruited at that level and then played at that level? and i think i think the i think 8 teams is just a little bit too much i think 4 teams is is good for where we're at But at the same time, though, the two things to say also on the flip side, it is so much more fun because there are going to be a lot more matchups.
1: And I'll pose this question to you as well, just playing devil's advocate. I always agree with you more more times than not. 99% of the time, I would say, I mean, we're at SEC Media Days here today. I mean, 99% of the time, I'll tell you that the Sun Belt champion probably is not good enough to win a national champion. But what happens if we assume that our entire time when you with this fourteen playoff, which is the case because you look at the rankings last year, Cincinnati didn't have a prayer to get into the to get into the college football play. UCF never really had a chance either. What happens when you miss that 1% that could have won it all? What do you mean like for Cincinnati or UCF? And I'm what? not saying that those two teams filled into that category. They may so, not have been able to win a national title, but I'm saying what happens when there is that team that comes along one day that is a Sun Belt team that is a you know A Conference USA or an American Athletic Conference team, what happens when that team
2: rolls around that maybe just because they weren't in the Power Five they're getting overlooked, but maybe they were good enough to do it. See, and I think that UCF team Definitely would have been fun if they had gotten selected for the college football playoff. I don't know if it would have been extremely competitive, but I think it would have been interesting considering that they beat. Okay, granted, Auburn was injured, but they beat the team that beat the number one team in the nation in in a span of three weeks. So it would have been interesting had a fully healthy UCF team taken on uh, somebody in the college football playoff. So, yeah, I think it's fair, especially whenever you look at it from the parity side of things. Like you said, they've got to get their shot somehow. And if there's a team that comes along that is truly worthy, and if the Cincinnati team this season wins out and they do it in dominating fashion, I think Cincinnati should be worthy. I think they, should, they would definitely be worthy of that number four spot. Uh, so, yeah, whenever you look at it in terms of having more fun competition, Having a lot more games being played and the the, ter- uh, the, the potential of having parity again, we don't know whether whether or not it will or it won't, but it seems like on paper it will. The potential of having a lot more parity. If there's an upset, if there's a, con- or a conference USA team, a Sun Belt team, a MAC team, whatever whatever group of five team or conference it comes from, if they come along and they are deserving, give them a shot. Give them a shot.
1: Greg Sankey's opening statement was a lot about change. to the Bob Dylan song and spoke about pretty much his whole opening statement, which was a rather long one, was about Was about changing the conference. He even talked about his TV deal moving from CBS to ESPN and what benefits come from that, the changes that we saw through COVID-19 the changes that we've seen through the transfer portal, the changes that we've seen from name, image, likeness, all of these different things Greg Sankey listed off about change in the league, being able to roll with it and adapt and to make a better league and a better game throughout college athletics and college football, which is what we're here to talk about today, of course. But Dan Mullen said something that I thought was interesting during his press conference, which, of course, I'm shocked that this has not become a narrative yet because it seems like every summer this becomes a narrative. Somebody suggests that somebody should move to the other side to the other division Mm -hmm. that we should get rid of you know cross-divisional rivals or permanent cross-divisional rivals and Dan Mullen said that today he said that he would be in favor of throwing out permanent cross-divisional rivals where do you stand on that I think I hate it
2: you 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 hate Dan Mullen's take or you hate cross-divisional rivals
1: Oh, I'm here for cross divisional rivals. I hated what Dan Mullen had to say about that.
2: I kind of agree with you. I kind of agree with you because
1: I deep south oldest rivalry. Yeah, oh, that's with exactly what I was about to say. Now we're saying that from the Auburn perspective. Yeah. From the Florida perspective, look at who they play. They play LSU every year. Is there like this? Is that there's that doesn't even hold a candle to the history of deep south oldest rivalry, right? So yeah. there's some rivals like Vanderbilt, Ole Miss that play every year. Where yeah, they're like, ah, we don't care about it, you know, but. For places like Auburn, they care about it.
2: Alabama, yeah. Tennessee as well. Yeah, of course. So so from uh, looking at it through orange and blue glasses, I would say no, I don't want to get rid of cross-divisional rivalries because Georgia versus Auburn is one of the best rivalries in all of college football. Uh, like you said, though, Florida and LSU, that's still a pretty good co- uh, college football rivalry. Like that's still a really fun cross-divisional game uh, every single season. So, yeah, I'm for uh, some of these squads taking on each other Uh, Every single season because because they they're they they are rivalries They are what they are It's fun every single year to see some of these teams from both divisions play against each other that being said, though It'd be nice if the SEC. I don't know if this is necessarily fair Um, This would definitely cause a lot of issues But it would be nice to see the SEC whenever they go to schedule cross-divisional opponents They schedule teams that historically uh, have been rivals. So whenever you look at a team like Auburn, you know I'd like to see them schedule Florida a little bit more. I'd like to see them schedule Tennessee a little bit more. Maybe a bit of a more of a pod system. Exactly, exactly. I'm not saying... Let's do it the way that the SEC does it right now where they rotate out an SEC East team every single year and we just get around to one whenever we get around to one. I'd like to see them schedule it to where it's like a more of a pod system where they have their three or four teams and then every third or fourth year they play an extra team like Kentucky or Vanderbilt on the schedule.
1: That could occur under a nine-game SEC schedule yeah. which Coach O said that if they decided to do that he'd be here for it which um, I even think and, I, and maybe I'm misremembering this but I, I seem to remember Dan Mullen saying that most coaches in the league aren't jumping you know, up for joy for that but let's take a listen to what Dan Mullen had to say when he was asked about Alabama coming to play in the swamp which is what prompted his answer of throwing out cross-divisional rivals
3: yeah I think that's it's really exciting um you know, I get the commissioner in trouble here, but, you know, I mean, I'd love this to maybe do away with the permanent crossover team and, and so you get these type of games more often. I think the players, uh, for the fan bases, I really think it's exciting to see some more of, of the, uh, of maybe, uh, you know, mixing up the teams from, from the West and, and playing two different teams. Uh, each year instead of a permanent crossover. I think that'd be really exciting because so you get this matchup. So uh, it's going to be an exciting day. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Uh, it's going to be a, a fun game to be a part of. And uh, as you said, you know, for, for 10 years, we haven't seen it. You'd love to to see see that more. I mean, well, there's teams that'll visit. There, there's non-conference teams that are going to visit the Swamp a lot more than conference teams. And uh, I think you'd we'd love to see maybe a better rotation of those teams.
1: I don't know how we actually achieved that better rotation, right. which, honestly, the pod system, I'm kind of halfway there on that. Some folks have have made me think, yeah, that's not that bad, but then other I, I also like the way things are right now. But yeah. then again, a, a game against Tennessee or Florida
2: – more than every seven years would be nice exactly that's what i'm saying so if we go to a pod system specifically let's look in florida's case if they want to play alabama more often if they in auburn more often they would have a pod system to where they they schedule those teams more often than than some other team than some other teams from the west and then they play those so for instance let's say they do a pod system where it's LSU, Alabama, and Auburn, right? And they do those every th- – like they play Auburn one year, they play Alabama the next, they play LSU the third, and then the fourth year it's 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 a team fr- it's another team from the SEC West. Then they go again, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, and then it's another team from the SEC West. You could see some type of pod system set up. Of course, that may make it more – the way that they schedule it out, I don't know how they get to that point because I can only imagine that that makes some teams that are at the bottom of the league that don't really have a lot of competition, I would make – Feel like that would make them frustrated because they're kind of being left out in a certain way depending on the way that the schedule works right but again we don't know if if it were to go to a system like that how it would work but yeah i'd like to see something like that but like you said i do enjoy the way that the schedule works right now i, I yeah, it's kind of heading out the door uh, we're starting to definitely see some changes in the college game for sure um, i don't i don't know if it if, if it benefits college football's longevity um, that's not me saying it doesn't. I just don't know if it does yet because we haven't seen this NIL stuff and all, the, all these different things going on in college football uh, long enough. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely the game is definitely changing. And uh, in the words of I do not remember the character from Monsters, Inc., but he puts his arm around Mike Wazowski and he goes, shh, shh. hear that? It's the winds of change. You can definitely feel <laughs> the winds of change here at SEC Media Days.
1: Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about South Carolina as they're getting as Shane Bieber's getting ready to go into the main media room in about an hour or a little bit under that, about 40 minutes, actually, if I remember the schedule correctly. So Shane Beamer, new head coach at South Carolina, will be getting ready to address the main media room as he's already made some of his rounds. We'll take a quick break here. We will wrap up the show and get you set up for the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. You're listening to On the Line, special coverage of SEC Media Days, presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka, and Keo of Wrapping up the Monday, day one of SEC Media Day's edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner, and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. SEC Media Day's coverage throughout the week presented by the Orthopedic Clinic, Redmond Vodka, and Kia of Auburn. Only about four minutes left in our show until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack, and they'll continue to keep you up to date as well on what's going on in SEC Media Days. they got a great show packed for everybody as they do every day, and they'll be taking your calls as well. Number to call, 334-321-1390 and text line at 334-564-1840. South Carolina Gamecocks, haven't talked about them a whole lot. Honestly, you look at the, you look at the lineup today, those Florida, LSU, South Carolina, the two big dogs were the ones to talk about for a big portion of today's show, but we can't leave out South Carolina here. Gamecocks seem to be in full rebuild mode. J-Boy shows Jay Crane doesn't seem to believe as much as you and I do, but is there, you know, what, what kind of things will you be looking at as we get ready to see him take the main meter room
2: in about 40 minutes? Well, I think the most important thing, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is, you know, for, for me, uh, what's he going to do in order to take the steps to get this program heading in the right direction? Because like you mentioned, this is obviously a rebuilding year. After going two and eight last season, letting go of mush champ, you know, you're not bringing back a ton um, in terms of star talent. So I think the question for me will be, you know, what are you going to do uh, in order to get these guys uh, heading towards uh, heading towards this rebuild, heading towards getting them in the right direction, heading towards getting to a bowl game? I don't know if that's necessarily obtainable this season, but definitely the question for me is what are you going to do in order to take the steps to get closer to that? And I think he's going to talk about the star guys that he does have coming back. Nick Muse, Kevin Harris, um, they've got quite a bit returning on the defensive line. and uh, You know, they've got – you look at the starters, six, six on offense, seven on defense, you know, that's a pretty decent amount in terms of star, in terms of starters returning, but they weren't incredibly effective last season. So my question will be is the, the coordinators that you're bringing in, you know, what are you all going to be able to do schematically in order to, uh, to kind of get yourself heading in the right direction? So, yeah, just a lot of questions about where this program is heading and how they're going to get there.
1: I want to see what kind of coach he is. Jay Crane was talking about that a bit with us once again about how Beamer said he didn't know yet. And that's a big part of that is because he hasn't been a head coach before, but he's been under some – traditionally some, some legends as head coaches. Licky Riley not quite there yet, but he's going to be regarded as a very head coach by the time his career ends. I'm sure he's already regarded as a great head coach. And he followed in the footsteps of Bob Stoops. You also talking about uh, Shane Beamer, you know, in, in his connection. Uh, to Coach Beamer when he was at Virginia Tech. You talk about Steve Spurrier. I mean, the list goes on and on. He's been around some legendary coaches, and I wonder how that influences him at South Carolina and at what lane he carves out for himself in the SEC because, you know, it's good to, you know, take the things that work and replicate those things. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, but at some point you have to figure out what works for you, and you have to do that to the best of your ability in order to to maximize your success, and that goes for anything.
2: Yeah, and I'll say this. I think South Carolina is one of those programs that, you know, college football as a whole is a lot more fun whenever they're competitive because that means it's not Georgia or Florida winning the east every single season. There's kind of a comp- uh, a competition between three teams for that for that top spot in the east. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what what type of coach Shane Beamer is, how he likes to operate. Um, I'm really excited to see what what how he talks about this offense and talks about some of the things that he's going to be implementing. Uh, like you said, he's been under quite a few different head coaches that really know how to get their offensive cli- offenses clicking. So yeah, I think there's there's optimism in the South Carolina program right now, and I want to see if Shane Beamer's that shot in the arm guy or if he's he's a little bit more militant like Brian Harsin. Also, what questions will be asked of oh, him? Cu- I'm curious. What types,
1: uh, what types of questions will be posed for Shane Beamer? And, and he should be coming up at the podium in, uh, in about 20 minutes at the SEC's main media room. But that does it for day one of On the Line at SEC Media Days with our coverage presented by the Orthopedic Clinic Redmont Vodka a Kia of Auburn. It's been a fun day here today, and the drive keeps that fun going coming up here from 4 to 6 on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be here in Hoover all week. We'll be back tomorrow. Hey.